Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three. No, okay, let me start again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of season four for the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. Uh, you're joined today by Erin and Steve, the two co-hosts of this podcast. And without much further ado, let's get straight into the topic. So today we're just going to start off talking about my um, experience at the new MMA place that I've joined. We discussed it a little bit briefly last week, Steve. Um, so I've started in this new place. We started doing MMA. You know, I just want to really quickly point out that they went and rearranged my entire face where <laughs> I was there. Um, basically got beaten up. Uh, long story short, uh, it was interesting. It was very interesting. I'm going to continue going. I do enjoy it. You get a mad adrenaline rush afterwards. But yeah, it was it was very violent. That's mm. that's my first first takeaway. If I'm being entirely honest with you, I wasn't expecting to wake up with as many bruises as I did. Um, very intense. Very intense. That's the only thing I can say. Uh, yeah, I, can conf- I can confirm I've seen the bruises and they're legit but I guess like my question is though like is it meant to be like that because I feel like and I, I know we spoke about this before but the crowd that comes with MMA you know usually are like super like there's a different cr- crowd to martial arts in it like people that take up MMA tend to be looking for more aggressive things even though it's not necessarily good for you to get injured if that makes sense yeah, I mean, um, I'll be honest with you. One thing that I really felt was when I was, especially when I was doing the jujitsu, we were a lot more, um, I don't know, we were a lot more weary of the fact that we didn't want to injure the person opposite us. So you wouldn't end up with like covered in bruises if you don't jujitsu. I felt like it was a lot more disciplined. The guys were all great. The instructor was great. Very, They're all very friendly. It's a lovely little place to be entirely honest with you. But um yeah, like I said, man, I got I got a bunch of bruises. I mean, I've barely been mm. able to walk around. Basically, you you saw me as you said. So, um, yeah, man, it was a bit. What is it about? Like, what is it about fighting that gives us that that edge? Do you know what I mean? Because I know what you're on about when you say you know you you feel good, you feel like adrenaline afterwards. Not not necessarily adrenaline, like in that sense, but as in like you feel good. Do you know what I mean? You come out and you feel like yeah, I'm a you know I'm ready for the day. And I've only really got that because I don't get that with football. I don't get that with anything else. But when it comes to martial arts, and especially when you're sparring or, you know, you're interlocked with someone someone else and you come out of it, there's something about that that is just different. And I, I don't know why. Yeah, the masculine urge to try and become a warrior of your time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't mm. know, to be honest. But it, right afterwards, what I will say was um, it, it does make you feel feelings is what I said to Steve and he called me an emo, but like you really do have a heightened sense of things. Like, you know, you're talking to someone, if they make you angry, you feel twice as angry. If they make you feel, you know, happy, you're twice as happy. Um, it's just that adrenaline rush, which lasts about, for me, lasts about like nearly two hours. Cause I was really, you know, um, after a time of being quite docile, I was suddenly thrown into it. So, you know, it became quite, um, it was quite interesting. It was quite interesting. And uh, yeah, I think this is probably why people keep going to it because of you, when you have that sudden high, you want to recreate that high on a you know weekly basis, right? So that's why I'm going to go again, despite the fact that I got all bruised up and punched up the whole time I was there. But um, yeah, it was interesting, man. Would you, do you prefer it to like the traditional martial arts scene? I think with this is the cardio and everything is way better. Like part of the reason why I'm going is for fitness purposes as well. Like I just feel like the gym can be quite boring 
and quite repetitive, even if you do change up your exercises and stuff. So this is great cardio. I don't really like running on the treadmill. So cardio wise, it was great. And, you know, it, it, like I said, it gives you that high, that adrenaline high, which I don't think you get with, with gym. And in all honesty, I really didn't get with jujitsu either because it's such a controlled environment. Mm. This has the element of chaos in it. And like, for example, in jujitsu, when you're learning, like, so I, this was my first session there, right? When I first went to jujitsu and I was learning, the other person lets you perform the move so you get to learn the technique. Um, and that then gives you a good foundation to build upon. But with this, it was like they were literally resisting everything. So I, I couldn't really learn any of the moves per se, but it just it helped me kind of figure out how to kind of move mm. and how to kind of defend myself and so on. Um, with input from the instructor. So it's just a different way of teaching that's a bit more high-paced and a bit more, I don't know if it's better or if it's worse, but it definitely, like I said, it gives you an adrenaline rush and it gives you, you know, uh, a good workout. Yeah, I think like ideally for me, I know what you mean, like in the martial arts traditional scene is a lot more, like they really try to drill the foundations, but it can seem a bit slow. Like you don't really spar properly until you're like mid to higher belts. Whereas with this, let's say MMA, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to generalize, but a lot of gyms are very like pressure based, like pressure testing very early on. And I think in reality, what you really want is something in between where you're given the room to learn because you can't really, like you said, if you're under pressure like that all the time, you're never going to think to apply techniques. You're just going to think to survive. Um, like ideally for me, it'd be something in between where you know, there are sessions where it's purely like very martial arts based, very technique based, but then clear sessions where it's like, okay, now we're in pressure testing. Now you're going to have to try and apply this in quite a high pressure environment. So, um, but this is why I enjoy martial arts, to be honest. Like if you try to get that balance, especially when you said about the gym, like the gym mm. can be so boring if you don't see the results. And what's nice about doing like getting stronger but also doing martial arts is that you get stronger in the gym, but then it directly translates into your performance. So you can see like, oh, okay, now I can throw you easier. Right? Now I can do this easier. So I think- it's Yeah, good. like obviously after the high of this, then when I went to the gym after, I was like, oh, this is twice as boring now. Do you know what I mean? So let's see. Let's see. I caught a bug. Um, my level of aggression, as I said to the general public, is going to increase quite a lot. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's have at it, mate. Road rage. But um, yeah, you tell me, Steve, what you've been up to in the past week or so. Anything new? Yeah, man. I mean, for me, which is funny, but I picked up skating, uh, specifically inline skating. And Aaron laughs at me about this because it's something that does not match my personality whatsoever. Like, it doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, we were talking about this last week, actually. Yeah. So yeah. what's happened in the, in the past week with regards to the skating business? Yeah, man. I mean, I've learned how to go backwards properly now. So when I do go skating, I go into Central and basically just pick a route because the traffic there is a lot slower and you can actually skate on the roads. So before I could only do forward, but now I can like transition to backwards, <laughs> which is like, I don't know, it's kind of exciting, especially when you're just weaving in and out, not in and out of traffic, but do you know what I mean, you can avoid like traffic jams by just going around. So mm. it's, it's quite fun. And what I like about it as well is that you meet new people. And I think this is the point that we were talking about where it's good to put yourself out in alien worlds where you're not you know it's something that you might not even have interest in but then you find out oh you know i actually do have interest in this and you meet people that are from different like style of thinkings and 
just totally different people. So I enjoyed that part. I was that part is pretty cool as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I think it's good. So far, so good. Let's see. Maybe I'll I'll do a video one day and share it on the VRP. You know what mm, I mean? P- personal that could page. be that could be fun. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. You were talking also about so today we went to this place called Bims in Edmonton Green. Yeah, brother, this place is just an absolute rip off of McDonald's. <laughs> but it tastes better than McDonald's. I give them that. I actually prefer this place to McDonald's. But it's like the way they've designed it and the way that they've like done everything in there is literally McDonald's. Like it's McDonald's. They've just given it a different brand on there. But you know what? Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Le- le- anything that gets back at McDonald's is fine by me. But we went to a place called Bims and uh, we were just sitting there, we're eating some food. And Steve um, has brought up the topic of Clubhouse. So you guys oh, might yes. remember what Clubhouse is. Clubhouse is. Uh, it's kind of like um, Twitter Spaces. Uh, this was the original, the OG, back when lockdown was at its peak. Everyone was on this Clubhouse app and they were just yelling at one another about, what if your mom slapped your girlfriend? What would you do? And all of these stupid rooms like that. But um, it also, obviously, Steve, you were saying it has like a positive side to it as well. And you've kind of gotten used to getting into those rooms. Yeah, Maybe yeah. Tell yeah. the listeners about that a little bit. It's quite interesting because when I first joined, I was, I, to be honest, I was just bored. So I downloaded this app, Clubhouse. And I knew it was like chat rooms and a lot of it was just damaged chat rooms. For example, as soon as I came in, the first chat room I saw was Somalia, Somalia versus Nigeria, let's have blood. <laughs> so, and you can imagine like the way they're talking in that. But if Bro, you, there's moan rooms on Twitter, so I'm not, nothing surprises me anymore. It's insane. They got man on there just moaning on the... <laughs> <laughs> human beings are actually just broken. But what's interesting is that if you filter through that, and let's say you follow pages, for example, startup pages, um, you, you know, like more professional pages, you get a lot of very successful people just talking and networking on that platform. And so I was able to meet like CEOs of a big robotics firm uh, on, on Clubhouse, actually. And I ended up connecting with him on LinkedIn and we've been sharing messages. And he's basically been giving me tips and on, you know, what are the key points of starting a business, especially in the startup scene, uh, what kind of corporations you want to set up, you know, very specific things in terms of ideas and there's even pages where there's angel investors so people with a lot of money that sit there and uh, they give people the opportunity to pitch their idea and where they're at in the stages and if they do like the idea they basically give you the opportunity to present properly uh, in front of their board so there's there's a a big way you can actually benefit from this um, this application uh, another example is if you wanted to pivot career for example that's what I was looking at I went into the room for cloud computing and AI. And there were people there that have had like, you know, tens of years of industry experience. And I explained my situation, my experience. And basically they gave me a kind of, you know, this is what you should be doing. Uh, you need X, Y, Z. So it's really a shortcut to a mentorship program if you can use it properly, which is really interesting. Yeah, that sounds like, it sounds like a very underutilized tool because up until today, when someone said Clubhouse to me, my first reaction would have been, wait, people still use that. And then my second reaction would have been, oh, what kind of stupid room have you gone into on there? But from what you're saying, I mean, especially if you've got some younger listeners, um, you know, who are, who are looking at, you know, what they want to do going forward, maybe either as a university degree or maybe they've just finished uni and they're looking for what to do with their career sounds like a decent kind of platform to get yourself onto just so that you can maybe speak to people who've got a bit more experience about their fields. It can kind of guide you on the right path. Um, it definitely sounds like the right way to utilize it. That's, that's for sure. Mm. But it's, it's interesting what you can do with technology 
and you mm. can do really bad things or you can do really good things. Yeah, moan rooms or mentorship. Do you know what I mean? You, you can go <laughs> one of either way. This this is the duality of man. I love it. In a sense, to be honest, I still go on these like damaged pages. Like a, a lot of them are, especially the American ones. You know, the, oh, I'm sorry, some Americans, man. They really prove the, uh, you know, the stereotype of stupidity. <laughs> Because like, what are you even talking about? Like, it's always relationship stuff as well, but like wild relationship stuff. Like you said, the moan rooms, <laughs> or even like, oh, you know, quite sexist things actually. To be honest, but like, oh, you know, are you a hoe or are you not? And then people just explain yeah, the story. Yeah, it's giving incel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It has those vibes. But yeah, very entertaining stuff. So. If, if you're a listener and no matter what you do, for example, for me, a lot of my topics is on sustainability and green stuff. And there's rooms just with experts on that in different fields. You know, I met a guy who's uh, basically heading a foam company and who's just explaining the process of creating foam and how they um, are changing their processes. So it's renewable. And like you would never meet these people in real life. So it's just a good opportunity to network and you know, get to know more. And especially when you meet business people that have achieved, it's good from the horse's mouth to hear, you know, how it's done, what pitfalls to avoid, etc. So yeah, give it, give it a shout, give it a turn. Maybe I'll see you on there, uh, <laughs> on the moan rooms. Steve's going to be heady. <laughs> Steve's going to be the admin of the moan rooms. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough, Steve. That's actually good advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that, that was actually, um, a good little bit of advice there for our younger listeners. Definitely, you know, try to utilize these things. And LinkedIn is another one that um, I think we don't really utilize that often, but mm. that's also a good platform to use. Uh, yeah, just branch out, man. It's not just everyday Twitter and Instagram. You can, exactly. well, I mean, to be fair, you can find good connections on there as well, but more time than not, it's, it's, it's probably better to use one of these other platforms that we've just mentioned. Mm. Um, so, Stephen. I was thinking about today, uh, your Embrace uh, yeah. project that you started up in uh, in your company. You know, we've discussed this before. Do you want to give a bit more information about it? Yeah, so uh, Embrace is basically a uh, ethnic and uh, uh, racial uh, inclusion group within Airbus. And uh, a lot of these groups have started to exist in other companies as well. We've done a lot of market research and uh, you know, we've spoken to other companies and they've all kind of been born out of, you know, that post-George Floyd event when the topic point was raised quite a bit. And I, I think what people have realized is that the attitude before was kind of just get on with it. Don't speak about these topics at work because it could affect you negatively or, you know, there's not a space for you to do that. And it's more of like shut up and get on with it, where now after that event, people have just, and I think COVID in general, has changed the way people view work and view uh, their their position in life. So, um, yeah, a lot of these groups have started up and it's really about raising awareness of how these topics affect people at work. Like, you don't just leave it at the door. Like, it does continue. And how we can improve the work environment or workplace to basically accommodate for some things. So, I think overall it's been really good. We've grown quite well. Um, we've had quite a big event in the local area with other big engineering companies. So, sharing best practices, basically a big networking event and um, being able to share it within the company multinational as well. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, pretty proud, for, pretty proud. Well, of, I think out of everything I've done so far, as yeah. stupid as it sounds, this is like the proudest thing I've achieved. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're <laughs> you know like one of the founders of this, right? Yeah. Early on. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so there's three of us. Yeah. I mean like, and part of it, if I recall correctly was 
to kind of teach, especially younger kids, if, if possible, that, you know, that people of minority backgrounds have actually contributed quite greatly towards engineering and other aspects of sciences, right? I, I'm yeah, not exactly. incorrect in saying that. Like, Aaron, reason why maybe I was, yeah. you, like, how did you feel as a kid? Like, did you have anyone to look up to to say, oh, like for me, like Brother, there was no one, one in my, <laughs> there was no one in my family period that had even gone to uni. So <laughs> it was, you mm. know, forget like people on TV. There was no one, you know, even within my close vicinity that I could look at and say, oh, this person's a scientist or whatever. So definitely this is a great thing. And the reason why I was thinking about it actually is because again, this could be bullshit, right? I mean, it's just that my source is TikTok really, if I'm being honest with you, but I saw this little video on TikTok where they were talking about how uh, pre- you know, and the Columbus and whatever period where, you know, obviously the Europeans went over and decimated populations that a lot of native, um, native Americans were doing actually skull surgeries, like surgeries on the brain, mm. but we're using what we would call very primitive tools, but their survival rates were like 95% almost. Whereas up until like maybe the 1800s, the survival rate was about 40% for the West, mm. for the rest of uh, Europe, sorry. So, you know, the guy was giving examples and showing pictures and saying, oh, we found these skulls that had these quite clear surgical, you know, marks on them, blah, blah. And it really got me thinking about how, you know, in my head, I would have never thought that they were doing brain surgery, right? Mm. And and because you are saying, oh, well, they wouldn't have the tools, they wouldn't have this, they wouldn't have the precision, people probably wouldn't have survived. And then it just made me think that, like, you know, how little we actually know and how much of what we know is kind of, you know, it's... Like yeah, it's, it's kind it's of like we just know exactly. Sense. We know the Victor's story. Do you know what I mean? We don't know anything really. I'm being honest with you. The way we're taught it in schools is, you know, even if they don't necessarily say, "Oh well, they weren't doing it," they don't tell you what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And so it got me thinking about obviously embrace, and I was thinking that that's you know such a a good thing to set up, and yeah. actually try to like promote as much as we can. So obviously, it's, guys, if you've got a company exactly. that you work for and you you feel that they are maybe doing the best that they can in terms of inclusion and teaching the younger generations about whatever your field is about. Definitely. I mean, hit us up. Steve can help you out. You know what I mean? This is, I think, a very important thing for sure. Yeah. I think what you said, like that was a big point because that was one of our first, like our first event was basically touching upon the contribution around the world to aviation and aerospace. And a lot of it is like unknown and buried but it's quite impressive stuff and it's very verifiable stuff as well. It's not, it's not like we're just making it up, you know, and it is exactly what you said. You, you know, when you hear that, Oh, or there's an impression that your culture never contributed, that, that is, gives a human being a very negative effect in terms of their thinking. But if you give them like, you know, someone they can relate to and say, Hey, you know, they were important in this, that, and the other, they created the scientific method, which by the way, was by some guy in the middle East, you know, around 1000 years ago it's it's like of course like the scientific method when you hear it it sounds like a very renaissance idea but the idea of testing a hypothesis um to be repeatable was started by i forgot who his name was but it's like ibn something some guy in like the arab peninsula do you know what i mean like if you don't tell people this especially for people from that region that let's be honest today's perception is very bad you know they could they, they may think like oh this is this science stuff this STEM stuff has nothing to do with me. You know, I'll, I'll talk about myself, like growing up. Like what role models were there? Zidane, do you know what I mean? So it was, it is the- Them North cliche. African ballers that played for France, that was it. 
That was it, bro. But that that's the cliche, it, isn't it? Is either you do sports or nothing. That was basically the cliche. Let's be honest. Like there was no real, like, uh, able to reach out and like perception that you can do something. So it's quite important to like educate people on this point. Um, another point as well, when uh, Europeans first went to Nigeria, they found like these sculptures were very high detail, right? Extremely high detail. And they were sculpted out of bras as well. So like metallurgy um, um, technology was very high then. And can you imagine like the, 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 uh, the resultant, like they saw it and they said, ah, oh, this must have been done. Not by the locals there that look like the sculptures, but by the Atlanteans. You know, people that like these imaginary people that are undersea. This is where the concept came from. And so, like, you, you can see that these kind of things, if you don't attribute it to people, especially in that community, and you, you kind of paint a picture w- without saying anything, you're already painting a picture saying that, you know, you're useless, you never contributed. Like, of course, then people won't be aiming for these kind of things. It won't, it won't be seen as a route that they should be taking. So this is the kind of stuff like, like the mental stuff as well. We're trying to explain to people that is very important and it's very important to educate people on these topics from all backgrounds to make them feel like they have a space in this world to do, you know, STEM subjects or whatever. So like Aaron said, if you want to start something similar or if you already, already have a group and you want to share best practices, get in contact and we'd be able to connect to you and, you know, share our story we can talk about this further yeah i mean uh definitely definitely this is all this is all good stuff good stuff that we're discussing here um yeah as you said obviously especially for younger younger listeners uh them they may feel as though you know almost a little outcasted within their their respective fields but as you said there's always somebody who's been there before and done it before even if you might not know about it and it's just important to get that word out I thought that was quite important. And uh, yeah, I was just thinking about it, Steve. Not, not that I sit around just thinking about thinking about you all day, but um, I was thinking about that topic and uh, I thought, I thought what, a great thing, what a great thing a friend of mine is doing. Uh, it made me very proud. Oh, well, thank you, Aaron. You make me feel very warm inside. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah, so what's big news in, in the, well, what's big in the news today and it's quite controversial and there's been quite a few controversial uh, points when it comes to politics is that they've been finding parliament using drugs and really hard drugs so i will start off by reading this article uh, house of Commons speaker sir lindsley hoyle has promised to raise allegation of drug use in parliament with met police he described in a report in sunday times that traces of cocaine has been found in several laboratories areas that are deeply concerning so this is within the house of parliament he told the bbc that those who flaunt flout the law should face punishment his decision came as a government is expected on monday to pledge 700 million over three years to tackle the problem <laughs> this will include putting more emphasis on recovery from addiction and less on prosecuting people caught with illegal substance um, times report all but one of the 12 laboratories in parliament were tested showed traces of cocaine adding adding the house of the, Commons. the call permission. is coming from inside the house by the way yeah carry on that is insane bruv uh, responsible for running of so the House of Commons Commission responsible for running the Palace of Westminster was considering allowing the use of sniffer dogs to detect users. Now, I don't know about you, Erin, but now everything's starting to make sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? 
<laughs> but I mean, I've always said we're we're governed by crackheads, and you know, it's a very go- it's a very disgovernment thing to do to pledge a war on drugs the day they find crack in Parliament. It's just well done, well done. It's man. insane I mean, though. Twelve out of all twelve, only one didn't show. So that means this use must be so high. Like, it, but it this be has been reported use. for years, though. Do you know what I mean? We've always known that these guys are taking these drugs, mm. and it's just such a slap in the face. For for anyone really who's been done for a minor amount of weed, for example, and then you find out the guys who are making these policies are all on crack. I mean, that is just it's crazy, isn't that just bro. hilarious, bruv? Yeah, the, the these I mean, same I mean, guys. I mean, my expectations are low anyway. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, man! I mean, I'll be honest. Like you know, people go down for, and I, I agree they should go down for supplying drugs, but like insane amounts of times. You know, twenty plus years. And then you're yeah, telling I mean, me the, these you know, people, there's a report. There's a report that there was an MP who had bankrolled his drug dealer using gov- um using um you know taxpayer funds. Mm, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, like he bankrolled him under like some sort of M- like, you know MP expenses thing, and he even dealed the drugs himself at some point. So they haven't released the name of the MP, but apparently he's not someone who's actively serving at the moment. But you know, it's like historically speaking, even like they're literally using our money to buy and sell drugs to one another. Bro, like colloquially, like obviously we know the kind of area we grew up, we knew, we knew these kind of people that would sell, let's say. And I knew one guy and he was t- explaining to me like the majority of his customers, like he doesn't deal with, with uh, street people. The majority of his customers are like either judges or MPs. He's like, I'll go to West London and just deal it at their door, like just give them packs, which really imagine that. Like, why would he like, do you know what I mean? Like this is basically his full-time job. And at that point, I realized that there's such a double standard, you know, like the same person you you dealt with, or the, you'll go into court one day and he'll be judging you. <laughs> just, yeah, ima- just, yeah, imagine, imagine. It's, it's actually crazy. And, you know, this report obviously sh- shows the extent of it, like for it to be coming out positive in all the laboratories in Parliament. Have you seen how big Parliament is, Aaron? Have you been in there? Bro, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But it's just the ghoul, you know what I mean? It's just like how 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 fucking dare you, blood? Do you know what I mean? And it, it's just taking the piss, bruv. I mean, I'm reading from the article. The maximum penalty for possession of Class A drugs, including cocaine, is up to seven years, and or an unlimited fine, or both. Now, let's be honest. If they catch them, which I know eventually an MP is going to go down, he ain't getting nothing, man. Let's let, let's. They be aren't getting nothing. They're getting some sort of. They're going to be get some small fine, slap on the wrist, off you go. This is the reality of it because mm. I mean, there's people who've been found with, you know, far, you know, I don't, I don't know how you'd call it, like weaker drugs, uh, and gotten way more than seven years. So it's like I, I just, if that's the case, slap seven years onto Michael Gove right now. Hasn't he admitted to taking drugs in the past? Yeah. So there you go. So why can't we just retrospectively go back and slap a fine on him then? Well, my issue is as well. This is a matter not just of like law but also national security like these people are bro, a man could press on the red button and blow us all to hell when he's on cocaine bruv like how how can this even be allowed yeah I'm, it doesn't I mean, make like, sense to me it's it absolutely not secure it's absolutely not secure it's a joke it's a joke so are you telling me these people are going into like big meetings you, you know what i mean meeting massive companies meeting other nation leaders these same people are crackheads are you serious bruv Guys in a cobra mean high as a kite. Like, what what can we expect from a government that, that's that's doing this? It's a joke. And I mean, 
Uh, I'm not saying this is it's just the government. I'm sure there's all of pretty much all of the Labour side probably is taking some sort of drug as well. But this is the whole of Parliament, which makes it even worse. Because as you said, there's what, 12 lavatories and 11 of them have co- traces of cocaine in there. Mm. So it's like it's pretty much everyone in Parliament, I would assume, has has done some sort of, do you know what I mean? Some sort of I drug. Mean, and it's, it's just like... It's widespread, yeah. It has to be. Yeah, right? it's widespread. This is It's a widespread issue. And, you know, these people are making laws. You know, the same, the same people who are just, uh, you know, so openly disregarding human life in, in the f- uh, channel, for example, are snorting cocaine, breaking every kind of law and then saying, oh, well, you know, we can't give money to uh, this person who's on benefits or we can't allow this person into the country because they've had a minor, you know, thing on their record and you're, you're breaking a law every single day. How does that make sense? And, and these are the same people that would look, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but look to change the law to, you know, punish people that are supplying. But it's the hypocrisy. So, it's, so you, you do that, but then you're the one create, like contributing to the supply directly, not even like indirectly. You are directly doing it. How does that make any sense, Aaron? And the thing is, we all know, like it goes deep. This kind of topic goes deep as well. Like we know the demographic of people that are supplying, right? Obviously, it's starting to let's say converge into one area, right? In the at least in London, if we talk about London use, it's like most mostly like ethnic minorities because they're usually in poorer areas. So, if they are all getting punished, do you know what I mean? You're reaching the America situation where it's just not fair. Like, so what? They 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 all go to jail easy. Like you wouldn't think twice. But then, you know, your local MP is taking it, but he won't, and it's starting to become you know distasteful in terms of uh, demographic. Uh, I don't know, man. The whole thing stinks, bruv. It's just, it's really disappointing, to be honest. And I hope they bring in sniffer dogs. And they should give them a really they're, harsh punishment. They're saying, they yeah, they're saying that they're going to bring in sniffer dogs. Um, I hope they do. And I, you know what? I just want to see what happens when somebody who's a high-ranking member of parliament is found with it. That's what I want to know. What's going to happen to that person? Because if you're genuinely, like, if you're serious about, oh, we're going to tackle the war on drugs, which is, as I said, the calls come from inside the house. Let's say you're going to you're going to do war on drugs. We're going to, you know, tackle this once and for all. Then I want to see how you're going to deal with an MP. That's an MP of your party that gets caught with this. Because eventually, as you said, Steve, one of them will get caught. You know what I mean? These guys are addicts. It's not like tomorrow if they bring out the law, everyone's going to suddenly stop doing cocaine cocaine isn't exactly a drug that you can just be like oh i'm not doing it today anymore you know what i mean so eventually they'll get caught and i just want to see what precedent they're going to set when that person gets caught yeah no i agree and it's only going to be a matter of time um like you said we already caught people but you know after this once they do get caught the, the spotlight should be on them rightfully so to see to say you know what is the punishment now and how are you going to you know prevent this in the future because you it's not just enough to punish. Like you need to be able to prevent it. You can't just catch people and then slap them. Like you, you need to be able to put in things in place where they won't. No one will dare to do it. Um, and I'm surprised the like MI5 and you know the national services aren't involved because again, like I said, if these people are decision makers for you know the the benefit of the country, surely you want the best, and surely this needs to be kept. You know what I mean under control. So. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting story, but I, I, I don't know. It's like you said, I don't really have high hopes, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, uh, apparently on the, what, 18th 
Up until the 18th, Boris Johnson will have to decide whether or not to cancel Christmas. And we're hoping that his nose isn't full of wipe when when he does do that. <laughs> I mean, if he if he is one of those people, obviously, this is just, you know, we, we're just guessing. We don't know who's doing it. We have mm. no clue. Uh, but obviously, it's been found near his um, office as well. In the, in the lavatory near his office, they found traces of cocaine. Doesn't necessarily mean that Boris Johnson's taking it, but... Do you know what I mean? It is, it is it's not good, very yeah. suspicious. And as you said now, big decisions need to be made. For example, with this new uh, variant, Omicron, they have to decide whether or not to cancel Christmas. You know, what What do we do from here? Where do we go from here? I don't think they're going to cancel Christmas. Though, I, surely they, they can't. If they didn't do it last year, Aaron, and last year I feel like it was worse than this year. If they didn't do it that year, why would they do it this year? I mean, yeah, this is this is the thing, right? So I'm under the impression that they won't either. They'll probably wait for, even if they are going to put in some sort of lockdown, then they'll do it after Christmas just because of the windfall that will come from that Christmas period is just too large to put away. Um, let's see how it works out, though, man. Let's see how it works out. I'm not too I don't sure. Know. About... I mean, I'm reading a report about, you know, complaints over the number 10 Christmas party, and it seems like that's still going on forward. So... Surely, if that's going, yeah. Forward, I mean, last year when they this. told everyone that you're not allowed to mingle, they were having a Christmas party in Parliament. Again, we're looking at the hypocrisy here. Um, so they're all getting drunk, partying, all mixing, while everyone else was told, "Oh no, you can't even see your elderly grandparents, you can't see your newborn, you know, uh, nephews, your grandchildren, whatever." Because, well, you know, we're trying to keep everyone safe, but then they're going and having these parties themselves. It's just hypocrisy after hypocrisy, uh, and obviously, people are rightfully angered by that. Uh, which is fair enough. Mm, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, anyway, I think we can move on to the next topic. And we know there's been a lot of migrant um, situations we saw on the border of Poland. And I believe, I don't want to get this wrong, but was it uh, Poland and Belarus? Um, I'm not entirely sure which country it was, but essentially a lot of migrants that were traveling through trying to get to Germany you know, have been trying to pass through that specific border. And Poland has been pushing back quite a bit um, in that case. And it also happened in Greece, um, I think, between the ocean of um, one of the Greek islands and Turkey. There's been migrants uh, from Syria uh, trying to cross over. But this time, what was scary was, you know, gunshots were fired at the basically the uh, refugees. So the, the point is, is that it's escalating the situation. And there's an article saying that the Pope... So looking at the program himself, condemns the treatment of migrants in Europe. Um, you know, speaking on the Greek island of Lesbos, which is the one that I was talking about, where he met a dozen migrants, Pope said that they were being used for political propaganda. Um, he urged focus on the cause of migration, such as forgotten wars, instead of punishing those who feel their effects. Now, in my opinion, of course, you shouldn't, shouldn't shoot at people that are desperate. Let me put it that way. But... Do you think that other countries are also using this as a political pawn to put pressure on European countries? I mean, absolutely. It's like when the whole um, ISIS thing happened in, in Syria and a lot of people migrated into Turkey because obviously that's the closest you know border that they could get to. Then Tayyip Erdogan, the president of Turkey, was kind of saying how if you don't let us do X, Y and Z, then we will allow all of these people to come into Europe. And so he was using them as a pawn and saying, like, you know, we will basically unleash a wave of migrants into Europe. Uh, and therefore, you know, the European countries basically turned a blind eye to a lot of stuff, dodgy stuff that the um, 
the Turkish government was doing at the time. Uh, and the, again, this is a very similar type situation, as you said, they're they mm. kind of using the migrants as a as a pawn to gain kind of political leverage over other countries, which yep. is disgusting. But, you know, that, that's I mean, just politics, isn't it? Exactly. And it, just to confirm, it was Belarus, uh, the border between Belarus and Poland. And it, it was a similar situation where Belarus purposely made a visa that made it very easy for people from uh, these countries to enter Belarus. But they, them knowing that they don't want to stay in Belarus, of course, you know, it's just a, a way to get into Poland. Yeah, you're trying to get out of a third world country, not get into another one. So Exactly. <laughs> but, but they use that basically. I mean, this is the political analysis that you can do, but they use it as a pawn against uh, Polish uh, lawmakers um, regarding their, you know, you know, there's a quite a big split between that side of Europe and let's say the more uh, old school Soviet side of Europe. And there's still that kind of attrition. So um, they've been using this as a pawn and as a way to get back and put political pressure on Europe and Poland. Um, again, the people that get affected by this kind of stuff are, are people that just have no choice anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like who in who, and I think this is something that people don't understand is that they think migrants willingly leave their homes, their families, you know, just to go somewhere else. When in reality, people don't want to do that unless they're desperate. This is the reality of the situation. Um, yeah, Blackpool and Derby aren't exactly dream locations for a lot of uh, migrants. Do you know what I mean? They, if they come in here, it's because they have to. And um, yeah, we discussed this before, but it's just the sentiment seems to be getting worse and worse as time goes on. And now obviously mm. they're discussing a variety of reasons as to why they might start taking people's passports, including drug use, for example. And it's just, uh, as we said on the Shamima Begum episode, it's a slippery slope and we're now seeing that come into play. Um, what's going to happen over the course of the next year is going to be quite interesting to see. It's looking scary. We have a government that's got an unprecedented amount of um, kind of power, really. They can do whatever they want. And yeah, let's just see how things go, man. It's a bit scary at the moment. Yeah, and I think this migrant migrant topic will continue to rise, uh, especially mm. as well, which we're understating, uh, the change of climate. Uh, we've seen with climate change, a lot of uh, these Mediterranean countries and African countries are being effective, affected directly in terms of forest fires. Um, you know, they're basically what was then um, agricultural land is no longer agricultural land. So now these pastoral people no longer have something to do or even earn a living, you know, these kind of pressures only add to the migration topic. So there, there's a lot of global pressures. Some of it is inadvertent. Some of them are very directly <laughs> caused, let's be honest, like wars. Um, you know, if you cause a war, where do you think people are going to go? It doesn't just uh, stay there. So l- let's see, this topic will grow. And I'm not too optimistic with, you know, where it will end up, to be honest. Um, but I guess we can leave it there and perhaps uh, talk on a happier topic. I don't yeah, know if sure. you've got something. Oh, you want me to come up with a happier topic? Well, to be honest, Steve, there's not much uh, happy topics to come up about, but um, you know what we could discuss? We could discuss mm. your theory on whether or not the two older Spider-Men will be in the new Spider-Man movie coming up. So it's coming mm. out on the 16th in the UK, so two days earlier than it is in America. And obviously a lot of people are predicting that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man will be in this movie due to it being like a kind of multiverse movie. And we know for a fact that Willem Dafoe, Jamie Foxx um, and uh, Molina, uh, Alfred Molina, who played Dr. Ock, are going to be in this movie as the villains. 
So if you have the villains from the previous Spider-Man, why shouldn't you have the Spider-Man from those movies in this movie as well, mm. is the general question. Um, what do but, you think? Do you think they're going to be in it? Is that your prediction as well? Or Keep Tobey Maguire. You have to bring him in. Mm. I, like, I like the fact that Doc Talk is in. Bruv, I do not want to see. I do not want to see. Well, what's that Spider-Man, the, the one in between? Andrew the, Garfield. Uh, I don't want to see Andrew Garfield. I beg you. Just kill him off. Because no, you see no, that no, one? I liked Andrew Garfield. No, no, no. That, 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 tri- that franchise, that double film. The second movie was terrible. I'll be honest. The one with Jamie Foxx in it was not good. But mm. I think he as a Spider-Man wasn't necessarily bad. I liked him. No, but he wasn't quite Spider-Man though. Like for me, Spider-Man was that, you know, uncool kid. I think we spoke about this topic before, but like his real life persona is just basically an uncool techie nerd that then finds, you know, an outlet where he's awesome. Let's, let's put it that way. But the Spider-Man in two, he was just, just like this completely cool, like high schooler. It, it didn't mm. make sense. For me, it didn't suit who Spider-Man was. So and you're saying you want a little virgin nerd to be Basically, your I want to reflect nerd. myself okay, onto the fair, films. Fair. I, yeah, hear yeah, that, yeah. I hear that, I hear that, I hear that. But yeah, no, I think I'm, you know what? I'm hopeful that they'll be in it, but a little part of me is thinking, what if they're not? What if they're not in it? After all mm. of this talk, if they're not in it, I just feel like... People are going to hate on the film regardless of what the content of the film is. Like, if they don't put Tobey Maguire in, that's a big L. Like, of all of them, you need to get the first one. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's the most popular one. I mean, you've got two of his villains kind of centering in this movie. So you got Doc Ock and um, Green Goblin. So... Is Toby it would, be, it would make sense. No, none of them. No, they're not confirmed. No one knows whether or not Andrew and Toby are actually going to be in it. Mm. But it's just the theory is that they'll be in it. And people have just been running with it. They really think that those Spider-Men are going to be in it. And given that there's been a shift into the multiverse stuff. So, you know, Spider-Man into the multiverse, the, the animated movie, the one with Miles Morales. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we, you remember watching that one, right? Yeah. So they're making another one of those as well. That's trailer has been released. Um, and it's part one they've written. So obviously they're expecting to make more than one more of those movies. And I thought that was a great Spider-Man movie. That's one of my favorite ones. It was amazing, yeah. Um, but are so they making it live action? Made that move, no, no, it's not live action. It's still animated, that one. Um, so because they've made that move into the kind of multiverse there, and obviously this is the multiverse of madness or whatever is coming up with um, Doctor Strange. And obviously in this one, we see the multiverse kind of taking place everyone's just assuming that the other Spider-Men are going to be in it, but it's not guaranteed. Mm. Well, this is I, the thing. I, I think like um, this Spider-Man's villains have been super weak. So weak, man. What has it yeah, been? Like, the they're just not well guy. written, man. Yeah. It's Vulture who, yeah. who was just like some old guy who hated Iron Man. And then you had uh, Mysterio who again, hated Iron Man. And just as a byproduct, they started beefing this kid, which was Spider-Man. But like there wasn't a lot of depth in the characters. Like mm. none of them had the depth that the Norman Osborn character or Doctor Octopus had in the in the original Tobey Maguire movies. They had great villains. Yeah, these villains, like you said, were very surface products. It was just mm. like oh, the bad guy, but there was no reason. There was no like, and not only reason, but there was no entanglement with Spider Man because with the other one, the Tobey Maguire one. Spider-Man himself and Peter Parker were very much entangled with the bad guys. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, was their backstories were linked. Yeah, exactly. One of them so, was his professor. The other one was his best friend's dad, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite, like you said, linked. And there was, therefore was an emotional element when they had to take each other down. And, you know, they, you can tell they didn't want to. And 
you know, it's more complex. But in this one, it's just like, yeah, there's the bad guy. I beat up the bad guy and we go home. Like, okay. Yeah, Tony fucked over Mysterio when he was working for him. Tony fucked over Vulture when he was working for him. You know, or no, he fucked over his business because he bought the, you know, the alien tech or whatever. Like, it was just, it was always relating back to Iron Man. It wasn't, they hate Spider-Man because of Spider-Man. It was always like, oh, they hate Iron Man. And as a byproduct, they have to fight Spider-Man. And I think maybe because of that, Marvel were interested and keen in bringing back these well-written villains from the original Spider-Man trilogy. Mm. Um, Do you think they'll do uh, Sinister Six with them, though? I think with Tom Holland, uh, with that film, they might actually do that. They might might use that as a a segue into Sinister, Sinister Six. Um, but do you think it will actually be Sinister Six in terms of using all these villains from the other Spider-Man movie? No. Or do you think these guys will be here for this movie and then they'll be sent back to their respective universes and then they'll rebuild a new Sinister Six? I mean, what's what's interesting is that uh, Tom Holland, he did an interview and he did say that he wants the Spider-Man universe to move on from him. So it's, it's kind of hinting that he doesn't want to do another standalone film and that he wants to leave the franchise in that sense. And, w- and with that, they could use the same bad guys and keep them in this universe and kind of like have a new Spider-Man come in, if that makes sense. Mm. But I-, I think this is, I think this is the uh, segue out of the Tom Holland era. Um, he wants out. The business is obviously looking to expand beyond what we know as Tom Holland. I think Do we're going to see. He wants out, Spider-Man. though. I-, I would assume that he would. You know, I mean, he, he, would... he said that he wants. Uh, he-, he was quite clear in his answer. He did say that he wants the Spider-Man universe to move on from him specifically so oh. I, I do feel like he wants to move away from that um because I mean, he's I think playing nathan drake in the uncharted movie yeah yeah I, I think what we're seeing is that you know when you do a superhero movie you tend to be locked into that character and people can't see you as other characters mm-hmm. and i think this is what he's trying to avoid and we saw that with iron man we saw that with captain um, america i guess Cap- yeah chris evans is now captain america that's yeah even wolverine um, with the actor you he's know he's a great him, actor yeah. but really like can you not see him as something else? You can't really do that. So, And the, the multiverse theory is so perfect as a way to end this era to say that, oh, you know, all the, this Spider-Man all left and therefore they started a new one or something along those lines. Yeah, I, mean, I do I think it's a it just opens the kind of uh, portal to just getting a new actor for the same character and just being like, oh, this is just another multiverse version of him rather than having to stick with one actor throughout. Exactly. But you know what's um, sad, Aaron? You know yeah. what happened? You know, when they released the Spider-Man trailer, the Batman trailer was also released. And the Batman trailer got like half the views the Spider-Man trailer did. Oh, and really? They, they were actually, the original date they set to release the Batman film was on near the same date as the Spider-Man one. But now they've pushed it forward by three months because they know they can't compete. Nah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, you know what? I, f- I have big hopes for that uh, Batman movie, though. I'm going to be honest with you. I think uh, Robert Pattinson is probably just going to knock it out of the park. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but it actually looks amazing. It does kind of harken back to the original, you know, Dark Knight era, which if they do it tastefully, if they don't copy paste, it can be done very well. They need to add a spin on it. Of course, it can't be the same thing, but it did have that flavor. It seems more grounded. It seems more like Mm. this. You know, the movie Seven, if you've ever watched that with uh, Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey. And oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it kind of has that vibe to it, like a detective thriller-ish vibe to it, which is yeah, what exactly. Batman is really. He's a detective. You know, mm. he's the world's best detective or whatever. That's his tagline. And obviously before DC's gone really like intergalactic with it, 
without yeah, really yeah. giving the backstory of it. So you just saw Batman fighting Superman. That made no sense. <laughs> yeah. So like you didn't really see how Ben Affleck's Batman became that Batman. And mm. obviously this one is kind of first year Batman, I believe. So it's like when he's at the beginning of his, you know, being Batman era. Mm. Uh, and it's very grounded. It seems very like grounded in reality, detective thriller vibes. And I think Paul Dano, who's playing the Riddler in this, is going to be really good in the role as well. The villain looks really good. Like he looks very like good. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a very interesting watch. So those two movies, definitely, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, let's see. Let's see how it goes, man. I wonder how long this uh, superhero thing is going to last. Is it going to be a permanent fixture in pop culture or is this going to be mm. a fad that dies out? That's what I'm really interested in seeing. Do you hope that it stays or do you want it to die out? In a way, I kind of want it to die out. Mm. In a way. I mean, I love it. I really do. But at the same time, I feel like whenever something makes a lot of money, studios do it to death. And it's yeah. like, I, I don't want to see there be no other movies being made because everyone's just trying to funnel in as much money as they can to a superhero movie. Like, there isn't a, as wide a spectrum of movies in cinemas at the moment. I agree. Where you see, like, you know, smaller budget films or movies that are very, like, uh, grounded in reality based on you know real life stuff that is just you know it's just a bit different right they, they, mm. i don't think it's, uh, you know studios are taking risks anymore i mean we can see it with the new matrix film i mean like come on what? it looks ass it looks odd i don't think it, it looks horrible. good at all yeah i don't think it looks good at all people are saying oh they're so excited for it but i just think it's it just looks terrible it they're just milking the franchise it. like you said they're milking a it's basically a superhero film let's be honest yeah the yeah of matrix course, yeah. film they're just milking the franchise for one more movie, knowing they're going to make yeah, a lot I, more I money. I actually don't see why they did that movie. I feel like the original movie. trilogy was really good. They finished it off in a decent place. Yeah, the third movie was a bit convoluted, but you know they finished it off. They tied the bow on the end of it. Just why make a fourth? Yeah, you open the box all over again. And I think I know why. I think the whole John Wick thing, they're trying to copy-paste that, but like in a different you know, universe, if that makes sense. Yeah, this I think is not Keanu be... Reeves really, his, his stock has risen a lot thanks yeah. to the, the John Wick movies. And so they're just trying to capitalize on that. And the, this, the fact this that the Matrix not... franchise is big. I don't think this will feel like a Matrix film. I think you're going to watch this and it's going to be a John Wick film based in the Matrix world, if that makes sense. I mean, he's even got the same hairstyle and everything. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, like, he literally looks like, I can't look at Keanu Reeves with the long hair and just think, oh, that's Neo anymore. That's that's John Wick now, right? So watching this again, it's going to be a bit... And the fact that they they didn't bring in the original actor for um, Morpheus is another strange one. That's mad, bro. You bring everyone back, but you don't bring back Morpheus. You, I, like arguably one of the most iconic characters in, you know, in that genre of film. Mm. You don't bring back the actual actor. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit The weird. guy they brought in is a good actor. He's Abdul Mateen, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah, mm. Abdul Mateen. He's a good actor, but I mean, really, you're going to, you're not going to bring back... Uh, bring back the actual, the original person who played him. But I, I think the like idea... Lawrence Fishburne, the actor, he's a legend as well. Great yeah. actor. And he said that they didn't even get in contact with him. Consult him. him. Mm. Yeah. I, think the, I think the idea of The Matrix, though, is that the story... So the way they wrapped up the last one, if you don't know, spoilers alert. But the story of The Matrix basically happens over and over again. And this is the cycle of the world they live in. Um, it kind of resets. All humans die the robots rebirth humans and they fight the robots and it it just keeps happening again and that neo just keeps being born again like the same character so this might be a thing where you know it's it's like the same story but obviously it's different human beings that represent the same people happening again 
But th- there were fan theories even before this film came out on John Wick saying that John Wick is actually Neo. Like, is Neo being rebirthed, if that makes sense? So mm. will they be tying the uh, John Wick series with the Matrix series? If they do, this is a complete, like, horrific accident that they should not do at all, in my opinion. Um, but, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it comes back to the point of they keep recycling things. I have not heard of an original idea. I mean, I watched June. June was refreshing because it was a fresh idea. You know, we haven't really seen this before. And it's like, wow, this isn't a superhero I film. I mean, this is a remake, Steve. I'm going to be honest with you, but... Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> a remake maybe from a film from the 70s, but at yeah, least... Yeah, like a long yeah. time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But at least it was something, you know, somewhat fresh. <laughs> Even yeah. then, like, you pointed it out that it's not fresh at all, but, like, at least it's fresh in regards of today's space, which is weird. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's not, it's not something that people, like, know about in this generation too much, to be entirely honest with you. It was a movie done many, many years ago. Um, and they remade it but that's the problem though isn't it it's like there's nothing that's actually brand new in my opinion that's coming out um and not everything needs to be a high budget movie what about mm. you know a, like a simple movie that's just in with one character in one room they won't release that in cinemas anymore because that that'll yeah. be like a straight to netflix or straight to one of these streaming services movies you won't get a lot of um you know uh, commercial build-up and they'll mm. just release it one day on, on a platform and people won't really be able to appreciate it. And I, that's quite a shame, actually. I think they do need to try and come up with some fresh ideas and not keep either remaking stuff or making more comic book movies or whatever. Just not that I dislike those movies. I do, but I feel like they should be a part of a bigger collection of film. And it, it shouldn't is, be yeah. like you have to go out of your way to find these different films. They should all be quite readily available for the general public. Look, I, I think it should reach a place where they only do comic book movies if it's high quality. Because at the mm. moment, Marvel is just smashing out copy-paste films. I'm sorry, but like mm. they're all the same. They just change the villain and change the good guy. But the line of story is like, do you know what I mean? The the emotional, the backdrop, everything is just the same thing. And so mm. it's an obvious, it's just a like a cheap way of making very successful films. I don't I want it to reach a point where you only release if you know this film's gonna bang. And yeah. the point of like low, low budget films, when Quentin Tarantino did um was it The Hateful Eight that was just based in that cabin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that was a very good film. Obviously, it takes a lot less budget to create that since it's like, you know, it was just two scenes. It was the the coach ride to the place and then just the cabin itself and the actors, which was great. Like, no one wants to take risk anymore. Do you know what? I mean, if you want to rank Tarantino movies, we can in it. But for me, that Hateful Eight movie is one of his best. I really enjoyed that movie. I thought that, you know, if you're, if you're ranking the, his movies... That has to be in like the top two or three. Personally, I really enjoyed that. Film. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I, I don't I see anyone taking unnecessary the risk. hate. I don't think anyone's going to take the similar risks that he took in doing something like that ever again. It's a shame. It is yeah, because it's it's all about financing, isn't it? And, uh, you know, as we said, these superhero movies, these remakes, they're guaranteed money. Why would the studio turn it down? Exactly. Like I would, you know, the Joker movie. Mm. with Joaquin Phoenix uh, the guy Todd Phillips the guy who originally you know the director and everything he wanted to make a movie that looked at you know the psychosis of a person you know as, as it develops and whatever kind of like Taxi Driver he wanted to make a film like that but he couldn't get funding to make the film unless he said oh this is a Joker film wow yeah. So that's what. So that movie, you know, when people watch it, they go, "Oh, this is a ripoff of Taxi Driver." Well, 
really he was looking for something similar to Taxi Driver vibe. He didn't mm. want to make it a DC movie, but he knew if I attached the DC movie, you know, aspect to it, it will get funding. That's sad. That is actually very tragic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's stuff like that, really. But, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. Let's see how uh, cinema progresses. And I think, you know what, we've spoken enough about that. We've got our, we've got our one hour in. So, uh, you know, let's wrap this episode up here. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. And if you want us to talk more about movies, we're happy to do so, really. But uh, yeah, just give us some feedback. Let us know if you enjoyed that little segment there. Uh, and if you did, then we can, you know, we can do a bit more of uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, Steve, why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand? You- that was bloody brilliant.